Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Is this how House Republicans are starting a new term? Cutting taxes for billionaires? Raising taxes for working families? Making inflation worse? Democrats, more than any other majority in history, are addicted to spending. We will use the debt ceiling as leverage. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. It was unheard of. Uh, previously to not seat people on these committees, but Pelosi did it. Many Americans believe they said things about COVID, like about Jewish space lasers, which should (laughs) keep them off of a committee like that. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. More members of Congress want to block the talk. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As a movement to ban TikTok gains momentum, a nationwide ban. We'll talk about it with Congressman Rusty Johnson, who helped write the bill to ban the platform on government devices. See how he feels about the next move here. President Biden, meantime, trumping economic data showing continued growth. But issues another warning over the debt ceiling. We'll have the latest from the Capitol and discuss it with White House economic advisor Gene Sperling. And as the White House faces new criticism from the president's own party on immigration policy, we'll have analysis from our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist Rick Davis, along with Democratic strategist Jim Kessler of Third Way. The move to ban TikTok here in Washington is gaining momentum, at least on Capitol Hill, as Republican Senator Josh Hawley introduces legislation to prohibit the app on all devices nationwide. And a similar measure, as Bloomberg reports, is now cooking in the House, seizing on concerns about the way the the Chinese-owned app handles our personal data. It's owned by a company called ByteDance. We've talked about it many times here. But this move is not new. In fact, springs from an effort last year to ban TikTok on government devices. The congressman from South Dakota, Republican Dusty Johnson, helped to write the legislation that became law. Well, the name of the bill is Block the Talk. Now, I know some of your viewers are curious. They just assume I'm some cranky old man who wants to take away their TikTok. And there are some prominent voices out in the public square, like a federal communications commissioner, Brennan Carr, who would advocate for just that, say, hey, we should not have this app. This app is such a national security threat that it shouldn't even be available on some of the purchasing platforms. That was Congressman Johnson talking with a starting point back in September when this whole idea took hold. And he's with us right now, fresh off votes on the House floor. Congressman Dusty Johnson, welcome back to Bloomberg. We appreciate the time. So I have to ask you after what you just said, are you just a cranky old man? Well, I am a bit of a cranky old man. But <laughs> You're not I feel that a old. Lot better. I feel a lot better about the fact that we got our bill passed in December. Yeah. Now we have, uh, as we speak, we continue to have a TikTok pulled off government devices. They should never have been on those gosh darn things to begin with. And I would just note for your listeners, I mean, this is not this is not some idle threat. I'm not howling at the moon here. TikTok has been fined a hundred million dollars by our government for privacy concerns. We have employee whistleblowers from within the company that have told us that China, the Chinese Communist Party, quote, sees everything. 
all of the data people are using and uploading on that app. This thing is a real problem. I can't get my kid off TikTok. Is there a file on my kid in Beijing? There is absolutely a file on your kid that TikTok and almost certainly ByteDance and almost certainly the Chinese government have. I know people think TikTok is just about fun dance videos, but the reality is that this thing has been designed as a Trojan horse to be able to scrape up uh, wild amounts of American information. And I think that's why you saw the move to ban TikTok from government devices as such a broad-based bipartisan push. I was just named to the select committee on uh, China. This is also going to be a broad-based bipartisan move because the threat from the Chinese Communist Party is multidimensional and it's not going away. You're concerned about data collection. Are you also concerned about the algorithm? Because we don't exactly know how this thing works or, or just how exactly they have managed to create such an addictive product, Congressman. It is really interesting that you bring that up because that is a developing part of the story as people have monitored the feeds that young people in China get from their version of TikTok and the content that American children get from their feeds of TikTok. It is wildly different. The Chinese kids are getting productive, supportive, educational content. The Americans are getting garbage. The Chinese are trying to do what they can to slow down America while they're speeding up their own country. You mentioned in that interview, and by the way, the director of the F, uh, the the uh, FBI, Chris Ray, mentioned that one of the uh, one of the FCC commissioners uh, is actually behind this as well. If there's a concerted effort in the House, support in both chambers, actually the Senate now as well. You've got uh, the FCC on board. Will there be a national ban? Would you support that? I want to get a little more information before I support a national ban. I'm a freedom guy. I've taken TikTok off my phone. I don't think anyone should have it on their own phone. But before I start telling people that they don't have that control over their own phone, I want to make sure that this is indeed a legitimate national security threat. Uh, that, that imposes such a problem that we need to take that kind of action. But, but the China Committee is going to be talking about things like that uh, mm-hmm. starting very, very soon. Uh, there's breaking news, Congressman, that I have to ask you about. You probably saw this coming. Bloomberg is reporting that House Republican leaders are considering now extending the debt limit uh, to September 30. And it's a way for me to ask you about this because it's obviously been a very, a very big deal, something that President Biden spoke about today in Northern Virginia. Listen, They're actually threatening to have us default on the American debt, a debt that's been accumulated over 230 years, okay? And the interest on that debt, we've never, ever done that. So we have a rhetorical question. What in God's name would the Americans give up the progress we've made for the chaos they're suggesting? I don't know if you want to attempt to answer uh, the president here, but does buying time through the end of September increase the odds of resolving this without a problem here, Congressman? That's a tactic that there is not consensus around yet. What there is consensus around, uh, certainly among Republicans and also among an increasing number of Democrats, is that it is irresponsible for the president to not negotiate on the debt ceiling. The last eight major fiscal reforms that our country uh, has enacted came about as part of a negotiation over a debt ceiling. And it makes sense. What we're getting is a credit card bill, and it is a whopper. 
And I get it. We have to pay the credit card bill. We absolutely should not default on our debt. Mm -hmm. But when a company gets that credit card bill show up in the mail, it is exactly the right time for them to sit down and have a family conversation about how do they get the spending under control. This White House says they should be two separate conversations, that default and spending they're not going to deal with uh, in in one stop here. We've got a staring contest, it seems like, going on between President Biden and your new speaker, Kevin McCarthy, both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. You must enjoy the idea of getting them in the same room. Are we going to make that happen soon? You're saying it exactly right. Step one has to be to get the President of the United States and the Speaker of the House in the same room. They have got to have an adult conversation, and for the president to refuse to do so is infuriating. Uh, the only thing that, that any of us should want is a reasonable, sensible, and responsible uh, resolution to this issue. We can, we can get this done. We have to raise the debt ceiling, and we have to enact real and substantial fiscal reforms. We're going to get it done. Getting back to TikTok for a moment here, Congressman, we understand that Marco Rubio, Josh Hawley on the Senate side, there's actually a Democrat from Illinois uh, in your House of Representatives that are, are all raising their hands to team up with uh, the idea of a national TikTok ban. When will you make up your mind if you're on board? What what would make up my mind? What, what would get me on board? Yeah, or when do you think you w- would you like to make up your mind to see if you want to be part of this? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I, I think we need to let the China committee do a little work. Mm-hmm. I think you can get a lot of political mileage out of introducing a bill like that or to get on board with it. But to me, before we really decide to pass a bill, we better make sure that if we're going to erode uh, Americans' uh, freedom like that, that we're, we're doing it uh, for the right reasons and that it is legitimately that big a threat. I think TikTok is that big a threat, yeah. but I want to make sure before I get on, uh, on board a, a nationwide ban. I'm told that uh, you're running back for votes, Congressman. We'll let you do that, and I appreciate your time on the phone. Congressman Dusty Johnson, Republican from South Dakota, getting things started here on the fastest hour in politics. I mentioned Chris Ray, FBI director. He did talk about this. Uh, it was in a recent speech. He said the same words, essentially, in congressional testimony as well, favoring a national ban at least tacitly. He talked about this at the University of Michigan. Listen to the director. Uh, Its uh, parent company is controlled by the Chinese government, uh, and it gives them the potential to leverage the app in ways that I think should concern us. The idea of entrusting that much data, that much uh, ability to shape content and engage in influence operations, that much access to people's devices Uh, in effect to that government is something that concerns us. National security concerns. Let's assemble the panel for their thoughts on this. Rick Davis is back, Bloomberg politics contributor and Republican strategist, joined today by Jim Kessler, co-founder of Third Way, Democratic strategist and former legislative policy director for Senator Chuck Schumer. Gentlemen, great to have both of you here. Rick, we talked about the government ban the end of last year. Is the national ban next? Yeah, I think extending block the talk to a national ban is going to generate quite a bit of groundswell. Um, You know, people are still waking up to the fact that uh, China is uh, listening in to so many different aspects of American life and making conclusions on how to compete with us by doing that, uh, that um, I still think, uh, like like uh, Congressman Johnson said, there needs to be more advocacy. There needs to be more understanding. Uh, but I think as people understand what they're into, uh, they're going to realize that 
Uh, it doesn't supply uh, our culture, our society, our economy, our politics with anything positive that why not uh, just get rid of it? And so uh, uh, you can certainly replace it with other social media apps in the United States that don't create a uh, foreign threat. So, yeah, I think this is uh, this is going to find its way into the public domain in a big way. People, you know, did a double take Jim Kessler when Donald Trump uh, threatened to do the very same thing. Remember, he filed an executive order citing the International Emergency Economic Powers Act and and threatened to ban TikTok. TikTok sued the government back. That was three years ago. Is this a bipartisan issue now? I think it is. Look, China is a surveillance state, and Xi Jinping believes that if you control the cyber sphere, you control really the world. Um, TikTok, I believe, is a piece of that. I think it's it's got to be on the table whether there's a TikTok ban in the United States. There are, you know, some efforts to see if TikTok can be separated from the Chinese parent company and enough safeguards be put up, um, you know, so that people will not be surveilled. I'm open to looking at that, but, you know, uh, also as a parent of a 17-year-old, I'd love to see TikTok gone for other reasons. So yeah, thank you. Table. 15's, uh, 15 in my house, uh, Jim, and it's like the only thing that matters Kids don't even watch TV anymore because they want to just they're glued to the TikTok. Rick, it's 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 addictive. I, I use that word intentionally because of the way this algorithm works. I don't know if you heard what the congressman said, but this thing is written uh, to work in a certain way, in a way that YouTube never never managed that 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 keeps people from putting the phone down. It, it's it's basically a digital drug. Yeah. And look, I mean, we see that in other social media applications that aren't owned by uh, the Chinese uh, Red Army. And so the reality is um, we've got to come to grips with uh, how social media has has really affected our culture, you know, especially teenagers. We know that there's a lot of data out there on the impact on young people uh, with what they see and, and watch on these on these, uh, uh, you, you know, social media outlets. Mm-hmm. And, and we know how uh, 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 negative it can be to our politics. Right. I mean, you know, the Russian uh, meddling in 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 our politics, by and large, was to divide people. And of course, we find out algorithms that are written by our own uh, country's outlets. Uh, uh, exacerbate the negative. And so I think I think this is a much broader issue, but I'm so glad that we're starting to 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 come to grips with the fact that Chinese is, you know, really a pernicious influence in our in our in our social media. And we've we've got to start doing something about it. So are we all cranky old men here, Jim? I mean, I I know my kid doesn't listen to the show, but if 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 he and his friends were listening, that's exactly what they would say. Out of touch, old and cranky. What 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 are we missing? Yes, we are cranky old men, but the reason why we're cranky old men, and I want to echo what Rick Davis just said, we have a social media atmosphere out there in which the algorithms are set so that so that anger sells, you know, and so the economic incentives for a lot of social media is to get us upset or get us angry or to get us jealous, and I just feel like it's the air pollution around us that is affecting this country, and put the red Chinese army aside. Like this is a problem in America everywhere. Thing is, Jim, government officials are on this. 
major media outlets are on this. I've been told I need to be on this because I'm an on-air personality or whatever, even a journalist, that, that you have to be there because that's where the eyeballs are. Jim, that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to say no to. What happens, though, to the official accounts when you consider government officials, like I said, on TikTok in the middle of this conversation? Well, you know, I'm on Twitter all the time. I'm not on TikTok, but yeah. I'm on Twitter all the time. And look, it is an angry cesspool there. And, it, and I think it affects the, the country. And I, I think it is part of the polarization here. TikTok, it's a surveillance scheme there masquerading as entertainment. And look, Rick Davis is right. There'll be another social media platform that will Mm -hmm. addict kids that might not have the surveillance aspect to it, but it'll have the other negative mental health aspects to it that I I just think we've got to address it. So let's say they pass a bill here. They ban TikTok, Rick. What keeps the Chinese from just inventing another app, uh, another Trojan horse with a similar algorithm? Well, I do think that the uh, federal government is certainly getting uh, smart to the tactics of China. You know, you saw during the Trump administration a a full-fledged all-of-government approach to try and ban Huawei, which was just another Trojan horse uh, to uh, steal our data in the form of a cheap cell phone. Um, uh, But we've got some real challenges here, right? This is an emerging issue that luckily right now is bipartisan, right? There's nobody out there saying... You know, being soft on China tech is somehow a partisan issue. And so so I think that, huh. that this is something I know that previous Rick White Davis House and Jim one. Kessler. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way from design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions. July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. White House remains consistent. No negotiating on the debt ceiling. You've certainly heard that here before, even as Republicans ask for budget cuts before an agreement. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. When it comes to default, we see this as a separate matter. We see this very differently, and it should be done without conditions. Had a chance to talk about all of this earlier today with one of the president's closest economic advisors, Gene Sperling, who brought up the topic actually on his own while we were discussing this morning's better-than-expected GDP report. Positive data makes the White House feel like the policies are working and that we will achieve a soft landing. But the administration is warning that the good times won't last if we default or even get close to a default, remembering that Sperling was there in the Obama White House when the whole fiscal cliff thing happened in 2011. Listen. I think what is really the most concerning uh, for really, I think almost any responsible economic leader in the private sector or public sector is the idea that that they would return to to what happened in 2011, where you actually saw a political party say, hey, if I don't get our way on our fiscal priorities, we will default the United States for the first time in its history and risk uh, national and even global recession. You know, I really thought we'd all learned our lesson. Really, 
Democrats and Republicans since 2011 have not gone there. Mm-hmm. Democrats did not do payback. Well, I want to they ask you about that, Gene, times. because people should know that you were they there for the fiscal cliff. You were you were yeah. actually uh, the head of the National Economic Council in a different administration. Is it different this time, or are you using the lessons you learned then to figure out a solution here? You know, the point I want to make is that virtually everybody, I think virtually everybody has learned the lessons from 2011. I think we were, President Obama and Vice President Biden at the time, were very willing to engage in, in, in a good faith fiscal negotiation uh, uh, with Republican leadership of the House in 2011 over what combination of measures should be done to uh, uh, you know, put, the, put, the, put our fiscal situation on, on a stronger path. And then, but we tried to keep that separate from the debt limit. They started to merge together over time, and people, you know, would say it doesn't matter, you know, if they feel they need to use that as a hook for negotiations. Why should it bother anyone? Hmm. And then we saw what happened. We saw that even when the, uh, you know, Speaker of the House, John Boehner, wanted to take a more responsible position, he could not control his members. And we got into a situation at a critical time of the economy where we tanked consumer confidence. We significantly hurt our economy. We had our first downgrade by a major credit agency ever. All of that as a self-inflicted wound. We already dealt with external shocks from the Arab Spring to the Fukushima meltdown in Japan. This was a self-inflicted. And after that, I feel like not just Joe Biden and Barack Obama, but I feel Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, they all said we shouldn't go there. So we've had mm-hmm. 10 debt limit increases over 12 years. Three of them were under President Trump. Nobody, Democrats didn't do payback. They didn't say, okay, you either give us paid family leave or we're going to default the economy. Right. So, when, so, yes, I don't think it's just we who've learned that lesson. I think every responsible economic leader in the public and private sector would say, go have a strong negotiation, you know, fight as you usually do. Uh, They control a house. They have leverage. We have the veto pen. We have leverage. That's normal political democracy over budget. But what we're not doing is a negotiation in which people threaten to default the U.S. economy if they don't get their way. And let me be clear, it's not right when Republicans do it uh, for, you know, to try to jam in Medicare or Social Security cuts that would be unpopular. And it wouldn't be the right thing for progressives to do to try to promote any of their agenda. Nobody should threaten the United States full faith and credit as a bargaining chip in a negotiation. Well, Gene, it's in part because of that experience you had that your name keeps popping up on the Bloomberg terminal here, that that you're on a short list, (laughs) they say, to possibly replace Brian Deese as head of the National Economic Council. You're the only person to have ever held that job twice. Would you do it again? Um, You know, one of the reasons that I've been able to be in three different White Houses (laughs) is that you learn. Never comment on any personnel (laughs) question. So, uh, uh, you know better. you asking, you'll respect me uh, uh, not, go, not going there. And truthfully, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I wouldn't go there on a question about any job or, or anyone. It's the president and the president alone uh, who speaks and makes those announcements.
Many thanks for the insights, Gene Sperling. Thanks for being back with us as ever on Bloomberg. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. So not going near uh, the, the NEC position, but he had a lot to say about the debt ceiling. And as the standoff continues, I would point you to The Breakfast Club. You've heard about this group of Republican senators in The Breakfast Club. They include Senator Ted Cruz. Well, they meet, I guess, every Tuesday at breakfast, even though they don't eat breakfast. It's confusing. But he says he knows how this is going to end. Not that we will never raise the debt ceiling. It is not my position that we will never raise the debt ceiling. Rather, what the rules say is we will use the debt ceiling as leverage to force real and meaningful structural reforms to fix the underlying problem. doesn't have to be a total solution for everything. Okay, so let's bring the panel in on this. Rick Davis and Jim Kessler. Uh, Rick, Ted Cruz, and, and it seems like just about everybody, seem to know how this is going to end. It's about using the time that we have here, I guess, to, to try to enact some reforms. But it doesn't sound like Republicans, aside from some folks like Andy Biggs, actually see this going into default or want to see a default. Yeah, I think this is where everybody agrees with the outcome, but nobody, I mean, nobody agrees with how to get there. Uh, the White House has one point of view. I just want a clean debt ceiling. Yep. Uh, moderates in the uh, Republican Party are willing to look at different things to connect it to, whether it's the GDP or the debt or inflation. Uh, then there's others who want massive spending cuts in the domestic side in order to do the trade off with that. Um, at some point in time, most of these things are going to peel off. Uh, uh, and and you're going to get down to some you know real horse trading, but I think it's just naive to think that you can't use anything in Washington as leverage to get what you want. This is a town of leverage. Every issue has another side to it, mm-hmm. and votes that you need for something else you're doing. So uh, I think the administration needs to join forces in the Senate and the House uh, to get something done. I think this idea of leaving it up to Kevin McCarthy is wrought with problems because on his own, he hasn't proven that he can get much done unless it's on the 16th ballot. (laughs) Wow. Jim, you know, uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, as well as anyone, he doesn't want Kevin McCarthy to figure this out. What role will the Senate actually play in crafting a deal if, if they can't? In the end, on some date, uh, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, and Joe Biden will come up with something and Kevin McCarthy will have to eat it. And as for the Tuesday club, I think the reason why they don't eat breakfast is they don't trust each other. They think they one of them put poison in it. You don't believe that. Kind of a group that is not real trustworthy. Just on on these structural changes, Social Security checks, Department of Defense, interest on the debt, federal pensions and veterans pensions. That's 48 cents of every dollar that the federal government spends. And half of what's left is health care. Like, I don't know what these people are. They better put something on the table because, you know, these structural changes are really going to mean something for people. Listen to Rand Paul. He's in the Breakfast Club and he's got a solution uh, for this whole thing to be fixed. He spoke the same time, Ted Cruz. A hundred billion dollar cut and free spending. We would balance our budget in just four years. This is amazing. We have an opportunity here. It could be done. But it would take compromise between both parties. Republicans would have to give up the sacred cow that says we will never touch a dollar in military. And the Democrats would have to give up the sacred cow that they will never touch a dollar in welfare. I guess it's easy for him to say that, Rick. But is he right? Uh, 
Well, I mean, you know, certainly in, there's some component to that, right? You can always improve spending at the Defense Department. There is waste and fraud and abuse at the Defense Department, and $850 billion is a lot of money. So you got to clean that up. And, and he's right about spending. Um, that being said, I mean, Rand Paul's a libertarian, right? He likes to gore everybody's ox, and it's just not a practical, practical approach when trying to solve a really important economic issue, you know, like debt ceiling. So uh, I think he's a gadfly on this issue. I mean, he's not actually proposing a specific outcome. He's basically saying pox on all your houses. Let's throw everything at the bus. And the reality is that, that nobody's prepared to do that. So his voice is singular. I would say The Breakfast Club, a mm. teen coming of age movie. Why in the <laughs> world would you want to be associated with that? This is a great question with apologies to Richard Vernon. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. That's right. Don't mess with the principal. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden gets another letter. He gets a lot of letters, you know, this time about immigration and not from Republicans. It's from Democrats, 77 of them criticizing the administration's policies that essentially restrict the asylum process at our southern border. Referring to the president's new policies we talked about when he rolled them out earlier this month before his trip to the summit in Mexico City. Was that all this month? Wow. Among the 77 Democrats signing the letter, some pretty big names, beginning with Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Last year, President Biden promised to end Title 42. Instead, he is now expanding restrictions on asylum seekers. She was joined at a news briefing outside the Capitol this morning by a couple other lawmakers on that list, including Senator Bob Menendez the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Anyone who tells you that the only way to secure our border is to punish asylum seekers is lying. It's why we are appalled to see President Biden replicate President Trump's immigration strategy. As elected officials, we are duty-bound to propose legal solutions, one that protects asylum seekers while also securing the safe removal of migrants who have no legal claim to stay in the United States. Let's assemble the panel for more on this. Rick Davis is here, Republican strategist, of course, Bloomberg Politics contributor, along with Jim Kessler, the co-founder of Third Way Democratic Strategist. Uh, Jim, this is not looking great for the president. Is he losing his own party on this issue? We know Republicans are angry at him about immigration, but these were some pretty bold-faced Democrats. Well, on this issue, I... I think President Biden is wise to move to the center on this. I think that's where he always was in the debates in 2020. He was the only one who raised his hand when he said that, you know, there should crossing the border illegally is is a criminal act. Uh, voters, a lot of voters feel that Democrats are not paying attention to the border. I know there's 77 Democrats on that letter, but there are a lot more Democrats who are not on that letter as well. Yeah, um, there does need to be some reform of asylum. I think the president is in the right place. Well, I'll tell you, it's never easy here, Rick. We've talked about immigration policy a lot. Title 42 specifically uh, recently. It, it, Democrats want Title 42 gone. They don't like the president's most recent move to restrict asylum. Republicans say he's destroyed uh, the southern border. What's Joe Biden do here? Yeah, I would say some Democrats uh, don't like his policy on Title 42. There are there are some Democrats, including Kristen Sinema from a border state, 
who actually <laughs> sees some merit in in the approach. So um, the reality no is a Democrat, that, that but I understand. No, nope, well, yeah, she was when they put it into place. Got it. Uh, but the bottom line is that uh, these are all patchwork. Um, uh, nobody's coming out with a workable solution of a comprehensive plan like have been passed in the Reagan administration, offered in the Bush administration and promoted through John McCain's candidacy for president, where we would actually address all the issues that are vexing our country around illegal immigration at the border. And until that's done, you're really only just putting a Band-Aid on it. I would say the politics on this thing, I'm more optimistic than I was a year ago. Um, you know, uh, the aforementioned Sen Senator Cinema, independent from Arizona, um, you know, has had very productive conversations uh, with uh, uh, Senator Tillis, uh, Republican from North Carolina, uh, at the end of the last session over a little bit more of a comprehensive bill uh, on border security, and 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 has just come back from the border with another Republican, uh, Senator uh, Cornyn from yeah. Texas, another border state, where, I mean, I think they're making some progress on coming up with ideas that can be some kind of a bridge between what the Biden administration is doing and, and, and what other issues need to be resolved. It's far from being comprehensive, but it's the first signs of bipartisanship on this mm -hmm. issue that I've seen in a long time. Rick makes a great point there, Jim. That trip to the border, which was overshadowed by the president's uh, summit in Mexico City, uh, also included a Democrat from Delaware, a guy named Chris Coons, who's pretty close to Joe Biden. So who was the audience for AOC, Menendez, uh, Cory Booker, and others today at that briefing? Was it the president, or are they just talking to people at home? Well, I think they are trying to talk to the president, but, but they're also talking to the groups. You know, there are a lot of immigration advocacy groups some of them are taking, you know, a pretty left-wing position on this, not all of them. And, you know, the, I, I do think that in the end, I agree with Rick, there is a better chance of bipartisan action on immigration now than there has been in a while. I, you know, there are some promising talks, but there's going to be, you know, somebody's going to be unhappy on the left and somebody's going to be unhappy on, on the right mm -hmm. if, if something gets done. And, and something desperately needs to get done. Are there numbers for this in the House, Rick? You take the 20 maybe away uh, who wanted to block Speaker Kevin McCarthy in his 15 rounds or whatever we got to, uh, that they're not going to sign on to any kind of compromise here on the border that involves Democrats. How do you get a bipartisan bill, a comprehensive bill through this House? Yeah. Well, as Jim says, you're never going to make everybody happy with this. Right. And so you've got in this case, I mean, I can't imagine a scenario where you're not going to have to have, you know, Republicans and Democrats in the House voting on the same bill together. I know that's heresy these days because it's either all Republicans voting against something or voting for it and vice versa. And, and yet I do think there are enough people who are sick and tired of this issue and realize the U.S. is the loser on this uh, by not doing anything about it. And, 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 and it may be the time where people are willing to cross the aisle on both sides and say, you know what, I, we, we can't go into the election cycle in 2024 with another year where we're just going to beat each other up over immigration and get nothing done for the country. Where's Chuck Schumer on this, uh, Jim, your former boss and colleague? Can he get the Menendez's and the Booker's on board with something comprehensive? You know, he has been involved in immigration compromises in the past. In 2013, uh, a bill, you know, passed the Senate, and it looked like it was going to pass the House until um, Eric Cantor, the Republican um, 
majority leader lost his primary and, and, the, and the bill got shelved. Hmm. I do believe, you know, he would like to see a compromise agreement there. And if something comes together, you know, look, he had blessed what Kirsten Cinema was doing with Tom Tillis. And I, I think that's an indication of, of where he is. He wants to see something happen. The fact that it's quiet, that group is quiet, Rick, is encouraging, isn't it? It is, because um, this is a harder one to prosecute in the open, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. as, as Jim made mention, there are lots of outside groups that have vested interests. They want to meddle in this, and they all, you know, they all have their own point of view. And that's very hard to knit something together if you have to do it in public and in private. So um, I'm hopeful, uh, uh, and I think the Biden administration is keeping their head down, not getting in the way of this. Uh, and by extending Title 42, they bought time to let Congress work its will. So I, I, th- I, I do think that, you know, maybe this was just for show, uh, mm-hmm. these uh, Democratic uh, members, but uh, it actually isn't productive. And so I think someone needs to go back to them and say, like, what are we doing to actually be productive with a solution rather than grandstanding? Rick and Jim, final thoughts next. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Sound On is brought to you by Innovation Refunds. This is your daily reminder here. Innovation Refunds, time to take advantage of the newly extended employee retention credit. Innovation Refunds has helped small and medium-sized businesses impacted by COVID claim over $3 billion in refunds. And standing by to help your business get back the money it may be eligible to receive. Learn more at GetRefunds.com. So if you don't already feel old, I'm going to help you out right now. It was 25 years ago today, a quarter of a century, when the 42nd president of the United States said this to the American people. Now, I have to go back to work on my State of the Union speech. And I worked on it till pretty late last night. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. Thank you. Ah, friendly crowd. It was not for another seven months. The nation watched as President Bill Clinton spoke to them again. In a deposition in January, I was asked questions about my relationship with Monica Lewinsky. While my answers were legally accurate, I did not volunteer information. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Ms. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. It constituted a critical lapse in judgment and a personal failure on my part for which I am solely and completely responsible. This, of course, all broke out with the help of then independent counsel, the late Ken Starr, and a little help from Matt Drudge. 
helped to redefine the idea of an independent counsel. Now here we have another sitting president being investigated by a special counsel and the most previous president also under investigation by a special counsel. Some thoughts from our panel on this. Jim Kessler and Rick Davis are with us. Uh, Rick, when you look back on this 25 years ago, my goodness, first of all, an incredible period of time has passed as we sort of figure out exactly what happened and whether it was worth it. How does it inform our idea of an independent counsel or a special counsel with what's happening now today? Well, I think the star investigation was a precursor to what we've seen since then. And that was um, high profile, uh, prosecuted in the open, lots of leaks, lots of information floating around and then no real outcome. Right. Two years of taxpayer dollars spent investigating this issue and and nothing really happened. Subsequent to that, we've seen other special counsels who've chewed up two years or more in an investigation and nothing really happened. So I'm hopeful that the Justice Department has learned its lessons through the last 25 years, especially when investigating presidents or former presidents, and will not actually spend two years of taxpayer money to come up with nothing. And, 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 And that doesn't mean you have to predetermine the outcome. You just have to predetermine how much money and time you're going to be willing to expend on the taxpayers yes, right. have to do it. Jim Kessler, were the lessons of 25 years ago prevent mission creep from these current investigations? I don't think so. Look, the first thing I want to say is we should all owe an apology to Monica Lewinsky, who was treated horribly during that period by the political system and right. by the media and was blamed. And she really wasn't her fault. So I, just want to note that that 25 years ago she was raked through the coals yeah you're but right i i also believe that in politics like there is a tit for tat and you know the star investigation really was not legitimate in my viewpoint but mm-hmm. what it means is then there's going to be another investigation and then another investigation yeah. and then another investigation and here and we are in 2023 with two simultaneous special counsels Wish we had more time with Jim Kessler and Rick Davis. By the way, Monica Walensky writing this week in Vanity Fair, 25 years later, quote, as the years pass, one's taste in partners gets better. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.